the Lord just would not leave me alone yesterday. And <laughs> I like it when it happens, and then I'm like, stop it, stop. And it was really good because he was gone all day. And so I was just going through the house about my day, and I was making potluck, and then, Lord, give me something, and I have to run over and write it down, write it down. Because we have a Christian education board meeting today. And I have some really exciting things that I want to share with our Christian education board. But guess what? It involves all of you. And the different levels that he has given me will meet everybody's needs. And it's going to be called cross-training. Because when you want to get in shape or when you want to improve... You have to do a variety of things. You don't just run every day. You need to run. You need to eat well. You need to swim. You need to watch different things that you put in your body and that you expose your body to. And the Lord just revealed so many things for this group of believers in a program or I I only call it a program because I guess I have an education background, but cross-training. It's going to meet the needs of every believer in every season of the life that you are in. And so I'm inviting you to join what this body of believers is going to be doing for the Lord. And I've jumped ahead because the Christian Education Board doesn't even know about it, but I, I really believe it is the next phase that or the next wave of momentum for this body. And so I want you just to pray about it during worship. Ask, what is my part? All right, amen. Thanks, Chris. You know, and she did not tell me she was going to say that. I had no idea. So don't think this was uh, premeditated and pre-thought out, because we didn't. But here's what she didn't say, and if you'd stand up with me this morning. Um, This is calisthenics to cross-training. So everybody do jumping jacks. Okay, our praise and worship is jumping jacks. And, you know, you can do some down-ups if you want. And, you know, you can do whatever you want. But this is our callus. This is getting loose for cross-training. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the instruction. Thank you, Lord, what you're doing in our midst. We're so excited that you have a plan, Father, and that we, that we are part of it. That you're planning the, your planning is about us. And it's because we want to be about you. So we thank you for that. Lord, now we're going to worship you this morning. And we're just going to have some fun. And we ask this, that you'd be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Let's worship. Well, this morning, I want to start off with a question. And here's the question I have for you. How bad... Do you want to know Christ? How bad, how much, how hungry are you to know Christ? It doesn't make any difference how old you are in your Christian faith. You could be a non-believer. You could be a mature believer. You could be a new believer. But the question still can be asked, and you can answer it. What's your hunger level for Christ? How badly do you want to know him? Think about it just for a minute. Think about it. 
put some definition to it in your mind. On, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your hunger level for Christ? Now, maybe some need to understand some definitions. What does it mean to know Christ? What does it mean to know Christ? Are you getting to know Christ or are you getting to know about Christ? Is there a difference between knowing somebody and knowing about somebody? See, there's multiple forms of knowing someone. I can read about someone. I can study someone from afar. And I can develop an impression about that someone that I know them. But yet, if that person were to walk in this room right now, they wouldn't have a clue who I am. But yet, I know all about them. Movie stars, for example. Famous people. Sports heroes. We can know all about them, can't we? And yet, we don't know them. We meet people on the street that we think we know, but yet, they don't have that same recollection towards us. It's kind of an embarrassing thing. You drive down the road and you wave to somebody that you know about and they look at you like, well, I don't know you. <laughs> so then you pretend that you're talking to the person behind them or something. <laughs> the reality is, though, that we really don't know a person until we have a personal interaction with that person and we really don't know who that person is even though we know all about them until we have that personal interaction to see if they really are who we think they are. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You might have this opinion of somebody that is a great guy, only to find out when you have that personal interaction with them, he's a jerk. And he, he's, not who he, he's, not, he's not who you think he was. He might have this great persona to be a great guy, but in reality, he might just be the meanest guy in the world, and you didn't know it because you didn't know him. So there's different ways of knowing about people. Now, if I, want to if I want to really get to know somebody, I have to get up close and personal. I have to get intimate with this person. I can still do all the research, and I can still get all the facts, but if I'm really going to get the whole picture of who they are, I need to have some interaction with this person. I need to be able to see that person in various situations to see if he really truly is who, he, who I think he is. Does he really act, does he really treat people the way I think he treats people or not? See, this kind of knowing a person is a two-way street. There is an interaction with them I, where I know about them, I get to know them, they get to know me. And when I, ha when I have a relationship like that with people, there can be some life-changing experiences here. All of a sudden, that knowing about that person becomes a personal interaction with that person, and depending on who that person is, they may have a significant impact on my life when I really get to know them. And when I speak about that kind of relationship, that's what I'm talking about when I talk about knowing Christ. How important is it to know Christ better? How important is it to really know Christ See, we can read all about them in the Bible, can't we? We can come to church every day and we can be sit under lots of pastors or lots of good teaching or Sunday school or Bible study or you can read lots of books. You can know all about Christ. 
But how important is it that we are to know Christ better? And that's the topic for today. And quite honestly, I think this is going to be the topic for maybe a couple weeks. Because I have a number of things to talk about here. A couple of Wednesday nights ago, we, in this Philippians Bible study that we were going through, um, the, the focus of that particular night was knowing Christ. And it was a really a good discussion. And, uh, and unfortunately, it was one of those weeks where uh, we had some basketball games going on and we had a lot of other things. And there really wasn't a, a big crowd that night. So I'm going to go back to some of the things we talked about in that Wednesday night session. Um, the, uh, the, the man that wrote the study, his name was Barry Cooper. And he wrote a study in the book of Philippians and it's titled Discipleship Explored. And it was a good discussion. And so some of the material I'm going to talk about today comes from that discussion. So I just want you to know if you were there that if you've uh, heard this material before, uh, I just want you to know that I'm giving Barry Cooper some credit here, okay? <laughs> and uh, so I'm not stealing from Barry, but um, he had some really good things to say. And there's really five areas here that I want to talk about over the next few weeks to what it, to what it means for us to know Christ. Paul highlights in, in his passages here. And the five areas that we're going to talk about are, are number one, we're going to, to know Christ... We must walk in his suffering. Number two, we must be dissatisfied Christians. And we'll talk about that terminology, dissatisfied, because there was some discussion about that on Wednesday, and they thought maybe that might not be the best word. But we'll talk about that later. And then number three, we're to be, for, we're to be forgetful Christians. Forgetful Christians. We'll talk about that. We're to be disciplined Christians. And then, fifthly, we're to be heavenly-minded Christians. And we're going to take each one of these and discuss them over the next few weeks. And, and uh, today we're going to begin. But our text for this morning is taken from the book of Philippians. And it's Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 10. Verse 10 and verse 11. And it says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, what's interesting about this is that this is Paul, the writer Paul, the Apostle Paul. This was written in about 61 A.D., 30-some years after his death. Paul now says, in the middle of a chapter, he just says, I want to know Christ. It's like all of a sudden, Paul has a revelation I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Here's Paul, probably 30 years or so, or some, a, a number of years into his own personal conversion. And Paul just, out of the blue, says, I want to know Christ. That's amazing to think that here the Apostle Paul, the writer of the New Testament, declares all of a sudden, like a light bulb comes on, wait, I want to know Christ. Now, does that mean that Paul doesn't know Christ at this point in time? Is, is Paul really thinking, saying that I don't know who I'm talking about? I don't know Christ? No, I don't think so, because I think Paul clearly has an appreciation of Christ is. I think what he's really saying all of a sudden, honestly, is this is, wow. He said, all of a sudden, I have a revelation that I need to know Christ better. I don't know all there is to know about this man that I believe in. And this man that, for Paul's experience, was a personal interaction because Jesus actually physically got involved in 
Saul's life at that moment of conversion on the road to Damascus where Saul, who was a persecutor of the church, the Hebrew of Hebrews, a strong zealot, a persecutor of, of those because he was protecting the Jewish faith because that's all he knew, and he was doing it to the best of his ability. All of a sudden on the road to Damascus, Jesus comes down and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you coming against me, Saul? And Saul was blinded. He couldn't see for three days until he went and was finally healed by another man that came and was told to go to Saul, who was a persecutor of the believers. And this man was a believer, and he said, Why, why God, are you telling me to go to a persecutor that's probably going to kill me when I go to pray for him because that's what he does? Well, that was an amazing conversion experience, and now Saul becomes Paul. Isn't it interesting how when a major thing happens in a person's life that God normally, quite often, changes the name of the person? Yeah, that's a cool story. So here's Paul. Truly, he has a relationship with Jesus, but yet he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. And if Paul is saying that, then how much more do I need to say that? How much more do we collectively need to say, you know what, I need to know Christ better. I want to get to know him better. So how do we do that? So we're going to talk to the next few weeks about getting to know him better. And we're going to probably spend most of the day today talking about something that we don't like to talk about. Something that's not a very popular message today in our world of prosperity thinking, in our world of name it, claim it, in our world of loving peace and loving um, prosperity. But we're going to talk about suffering today. Number one thing, if I want to know Christ, I must walk in his suffering. And there's a number of scriptures here. As I started to think about this, I'll tell you what, I, these are one of this, this is one of those messages where as the week progressed, I mean, I knew clearly this is what the Lord had for us to speak about today. But last night before I go to bed, even, even during the day yesterday, I'm starting to question myself, and I'm thinking, you know, do I really want to spend a whole 30 minutes, 40 minutes, or longer, uh, talking about suffering? <laughs> do I really want to talk? I mean, people, do people really want to hear about suffering that much? And so, and then this morning I woke up thinking, no, nah, i got to change. i got to change the message. People don't want to talk about suffering. But we're going to talk about suffering because I believe that's what the Lord wants us to talk about. And not only do I believe that, but I have much scripture to back this up. So today, if you take notes, get your note and paper out and take these scriptures down and go back and study them on your own. But here's some passages that talk about this. If, if, if Paul and the other writers of the New Testament and Jesus himself talked about suffering numerous times, there must be some merit to it. There must be some purpose in it. So let's start off. Romans chapter 8, verse 17 through 18. Now, if we, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So when I look at this scripture here, it appears that if I want to share in the glory of Christ who I'm a joint heir with, I'm a brother, I'm a co-heir with Christ, if I want to share in his glories, that I must first share in his suffering. 
Isn't that an interesting perspective to think that if I'm going to share in God's glory, if I'm going to share in the glory of Christ, that I must share in the suffering that Christ has. Now, I know we don't like to think about that. We just want the good stuff. It's like the story of the little red hen. You know, who wants to, who wants to bake the bread? Everybody wants the bread, but who wants to get the wheat? And who wants to crush it? And who wants to go through the process of making the dough and all the flour and all that stuff to make the bread? There's a story there. You know, there's a story there because that's human nature. Human nature wants just to get to the end. We want to get to the good stuff. But here's a real interesting fact. Think about this one. We will only attain in the future what we are willing to work and suffer for today. Think about that. We will only attain in the future what we are willing to work for today. You're not going to get the blessings of the future if you're not willing to put in the work equity today. That's just common sense, isn't it? And Paul gives us the reality of it in, in the time frame that what's really important here is that eternally, as we place suffering in the aspect of eternity, he, he says that, that at our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So even though I'm suffering today... The promise of God is that eternity will be so much better because I suffered today by the glories that will be, will be revealed to me as a result of my sufferings. So there's a purpose in sufferings. Let's go on. Let's continue. Some, some other scriptures. Second, Second Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. And, you know, um, we're going to read a lot of Bible today. I hope you're okay with that. I know that um, this is when I... Well, can I, I'll confess to you. I've never been taught how to preach. <laughs> I, I did not go through seminary. I'm an engineer, okay? I did not go through the seminary teaching, and probably if I did, I probably would have failed it. Because I know that when you preach, you're not supposed to read a lot of Scripture. In fact, you're not supposed to read a lot of anything. You're just supposed to talk, right? But I'm sorry, um, I really want to spend more time in the Bible because I think the Bible has things better to say than me, all right? No, you're not, supposed to, you're not supposed to amen that. That's not a time for an amen. That's the biggest amen I've ever got out of this crowd. I'll tell you that right now. Wow. Okay, now I know what you really think. <laughs> All right, let's continue to read the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Our sufferings produce patient endurance. Our sufferings produce something in us that will give us fruit in the future. We're promised that we will all be comforted abundantly by Christ as we share in his sufferings. Basically here, he's in the boat with you. 
He's in the boat with you. And when you're going through a hard time, he's going through a hard time with you. He's not abandoning you. He's not in another boat. He's, with, he's in the boat with you. And he's here to comfort you in the sufferings that we need to endure so that we can have patient endurance and future glories. All right. Philippians chapter 1, verse 28. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 2 Peter, 1 Peter. This is a different writer. These other writers were Paul, okay, that Paul was preaching. Paul was writing Philippians. Paul wrote Timothy. Now Peter, Peter the rock, Peter writes this in, in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for, do, for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Then Peter goes on again in chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. See, he's saying here, you rejoice in it. Don't go through life with a sad face. This isn't to go through life thinking, oh, I'm suffering. No, rejoice, Paul Peter says. Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. If you are insulted because of the name of Jesus Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of other criminal or even as a meddler. What's a meddler? <laughs> I think that hits home for us a lot more than being a murderer or a thief. I don't think many of us here are murderers or thieves. But can we all be meddlers? I'll let you answer that. Verse 16, however... If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. The suffering here, it's to continue to do good joyfully, understanding that you have a promise, understanding that you have comfort coming, but you are to continue to, good, to do good joyfully in the midst of your suffering. And then Peter goes on again in chapter 5. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, it's important that we know that we have an enemy, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You're not alone here, folks. 
You're not alone in your suffering. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself, God himself, will restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. So we have many scriptures here that tell us that we are going to suffer and that we need to understand why we suffer and how we go through this. So let's, with that as a background, let's dig into what it means to suffer with Christ and to walk in his suffering. So what does it mean to walk in Christ's suffering? Let's go back to our text, verse 10 of Philippians chapter 3. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. See, Paul is saying that if we're going to know Christ better, that we must participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now, does that mean we're all going to go to the cross? And we're going to hang a, we're going to die a, a, a thief's death on the cross. No, that's not what he's saying at all physically. But spiritually, though, we are to die on a cross, aren't we? But not physically. Thank goodness for that. And I know this isn't truly a popular message, so please don't check out on me here, okay? I can see people already checking out because we're talking about suffering too much. Don't, don't check out. There's a, good, there's a good outcome at the end of this. It's good, believe me. But suffering is one of the most common elements that all mankind experiences. I mean, this is a common thread. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care what culture you're from. I don't care where you are in the world. All men suffer. Now, we may not all share in the same levels of happiness or peace or wealth or health or strength or family and friend relationships or any other, other variables in life. We may have different levels of that, but we will all suffer. All people suffer. We, all, we share in that common form of suffering, um, and, and thank goodness, at various levels at various times. I don't think we all want to suffer at a 10. I think we may suffer, we'd like to suffer at a 1. You know, I like to suffer at a 1 much more than a 10, but we have different times that suffering happens in our life, and, and it, it, it produces something in us. So what does it mean? What, what does participating in Christ's suffering mean? What, is it, what does it mean? What does it produce? Well, if we're going to get to know Christ, we need to walk the life he walked on earth. We need to be marked with the same persecutions and the same rejections and the same suffering that he was marked with if we truly are going to understand him and truly get to know him. If we're going to be a true disciple and a follower of Christ, then shouldn't our lives be marked that way? Shouldn't we see a same similar set of markings and ultimately the same fate that Christ experienced? John tells us in the book of John, chapter 15, beginning at verse 18, it says this, If the world hates you, this is Jesus speaking. Okay, this is what Jesus talks now. Understand, this is Jesus' words. If the world, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. See, Jesus was preparing his disciples now to go out into the world. He was preparing them for their, one of their first mission trips. But he was being up front, and he was being honest with his disciples. 
as he is to us today, telling us them up front that, that you're going to have problems and I don't want you to get upset. I don't want you to, to throw in the towel and quit when you're persecuted because you're teaching and preaching my words. Just know that they hated me before they hated you. So you're not alone here. I, I'm with you. And, and I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to get anxiety attacks over the fact that people aren't listening now to you or they're persecuting you or they don't believe you or they're rejecting you. I don't want you to do that. I, Jesus is telling them up front. He's just being open to these guys that they're going into a dark and broken world. And even though that they're, they're, that they're giving a message of truth, many people will reject you. Many people won't receive it from you. But remember, you're just a messenger. You're just a conduit. And they might shoot you. But they're not shooting you. They're really shooting me. I want you to know that. So just understand that. And then he comforts them. He can, he, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus comforts his disciples. And he says in Matthew 10, verse 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but rather the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and the father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, are you ready for this? I'm, I'm thinking Jesus is here speaking more prophetically here. I think he's speaking to the times yet to come. I think, I think he's speaking of truly the, 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 the great falling away that's coming. That when the church is persecuted because we're still believing, we're still teaching truth, he's going to say, you're going to be persecuted. There are those that are going to betray you. You may even be betrayed by your family members. Are you ready for this? Can you handle this? Are you counting the cost of what it, really, what really, what it truly, really means to be a Christian? Now, for most of us, I hope that we don't have to go through that kind of persecution. But I know others are already in this world. You can go on the news and you can hear what's happening in other parts of the country. We've just seen the beheadings of the Coptic Christians, the Egyptians, by their ISIS people. Where would you be in that? You ever thought about that? You ever thought about what, you're, what you'd be saying if you had an ISIS man with a sharp knife behind your back? Now, I would like to think that I would say, can I sharpen your knife? <laughs> because if you're going to cut my head off, I want it really sharp. That's just because I'm a coward. That's because I don't want to feel the pain. But these, you know, would you sing the praises of God? Would you, what would you do? Man, I hope it doesn't come that way to us. I hope it doesn't. But at the same time, I think it's obvious that persecution brings a person so much closer to the world, or closer to the, to the Lord, that in the end, it's worth it. I, I got to thank those Coptic Egyptians those Coptic Christians are dancing in the streets of heaven today as one of the martyrs. Yeah. Sometimes 
persecution, sometimes hard things are exactly the things we need to get in our lives, to get our attention, or to snap us into reality. The hard times that we go through in life most of the time probably bring most fruit in our lives through the hard times. Now, I think that we all should learn to cherish all the times that we have. And I would hope that we could cherish our good times much more than our bad times. In fact, I would like to think that I can be more thankful and I can be more gracious and I can be more pressing into, the, into, into God's word in my good times. I would like to think this. I would like to tell the God, God, you don't have to persecute me because I am seeking your face already. I want to know you, Jesus, more in my good times. But in reality, does that happen? Can you think about your life? When, when did you press into God more? When you had all the money in the bank you needed? When everything was good? Everything was healthy? Everybody strong? Or did you find yourself pressing in a little bit more when you were suffering? You see, we don't like to think of suffering that way, but sometimes suffering brings good things in our hearts, in our lives. Yeah. Jesus made it very clear to us. He made it very clear to his disciples that there is a path that Christians are to walk. It may not be the popular path, but it is the required path. Again, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus then said to his disciples, this is verse 24 through 27 of Matthew 16, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. See, if we're going to be counted in heaven as one of the faithful, if Jesus is going to say, well done, thou good and faithful, we're going to have to walk this path. That's the path we're going to walk. For to follow Jesus, we must walk the path of self-denial. Maybe that's, the, maybe that's the ultimate form. Maybe that's the only form of suffering you're going to have to really suffer. Because maybe you've got everything you need. Maybe you're really not suffering in your life today. Maybe the suffering required for you is self-denial. This is getting kind of personal now. Maybe I need to put away some of the things that make me happy and that, that don't challenge me so that I can understand more about God. I don't know. I, I know this is going to be kind of hard. But here's the thing. We're not, I'm not glorifying suffering. I'm not saying you have to, the more you suffer, the more religious you are. I'm not saying that. I'm just repeating the words of Jesus. How did Jesus suffer? How did he suffer? Well, obviously we know that he suffered on the cross. But how did he suffer before that? Jesus was, he was misunderstood and rejected by his own family. He even said a, a prophet in his hometown is, is without honor. He, he was rejected by his brothers and sisters. He was rejected by his own family. He was unjustly despised. He was betrayed by his friends. And quite honestly, people, if we're going to be a follower of Jesus in all aspects like that, we're going to have to take on the same stand of holiness and righteousness as Jesus did because you may, have to be, you may be misunderstood and rejected by your family. You may be unjustly despised. You may be, be, you may be betrayed by your friends because of the stance that you're required to take as holy and just and righteous. Again, are you ready for that? Are we willing to do that? Is that what we're called to do? 
How bad do you want to be a Christian today? How bad, do you, how bad do you want to know Christ today? Go back to our original question. How bad do you want to know Christ? Are you willing to suffer for Christ? See, the majority of Christians today are not willing to go to that extent. I'll tell you right now, they're not. Many people live a life careful not to offend anyone. They don't want to offend anyone. They don't want to be called a fundamentalist or a judgmental person or a bigot. No, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want people to unjustly accuse us. So people will make a compromise so that they will be accepted by the world rather than stand out in the world. And here's the question. What good does that do anyone? What good are you doing to the person that you say you love when you compromise with them because you're afraid they're going to reject you when you're telling the truth of God's Word? What good are you doing that person? What good are you doing yourself? Again, let me just say, we don't suffer for, for suffering's sake. I'm not trying to say that. I'm not glorifying the suffering process like it's the thing to do in order for us to be spiritual. I'm not saying that. But I, 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 I would much rather be happy and spiritually alive than suffer and be spiritually alive. I would much rather be happy. And I'm trusting God that I'm pressing in to God in my happiness. But if what happens, what happens if in my own ability or your own ability that you're not able to do that? What happens if you're not able to press into God in your good things and God sees that in you and God loves you so much that he's saying, I need to adjust some things in your life. I need to do some things in your life to get your attention. What happens if that happens? See, God knows that. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what motivates you. He knows what's going to bring glory to his name by how he brings things into your life. And I can tell you without any hesitation, without any hesitation at all, that God is totally aware of your spiritual condition. He knows exactly where you're at spiritually. He knows where you're at more than you know. And God loves you so much that he will go to any extreme to get your attention. He will go to any extreme to, to make you look up to him. Now, when you look up, you still have the choice of what are you going to do when you look up. But he will get you to look up. <laughs> he will, because he loves you. See, we've heard it, I, I've heard it said before this, that there's only one prayer that God hears from a sinner. God doesn't want to bless a sinner. Hear me. Because when we're a sinner, we are an enemy of the cross. He loves you unconditionally. That's what the Bible says. But his blessings don't go to the sinner. There's only one prayer that God hears from a sinner. And that is, help me. Help me. When I get to the point where I'm that far down in life that I cry out to God and I say, God, help me. He says, ah, I hear you now. Ah, I hear you. Come on. Now I'll help you. Let's go. Now I'll clean your life up. Now I'll work with you. Now I'll bring the blessings in your life. Now I'll clean you up. Now I'll... See, that's the prayer that God hears if you're not following Christ. Therefore, there's a purpose of the hard times. There's a purpose for that. God's wanting you to look up. He's wanting you to say, help me. Jackie, would you help me by closing this up here so we can get to the food? I know the, the smells are waft, wafting in here. But I want, so as we conclude, I want to go down to um, 
Bible teacher and author, James McDonald. I've spoken of James quite often. I, I, you know what's really cool about this is that uh, I just got this devotional on Friday from James, James McDonald, and it fit perfectly in what God had me to say today. It's not like I went back, and I'm not going to give you any story here that I have this great research ability to go back. and No, this came on Friday. So it's perfect. But he says, and he uses Hosea, Old Testament, Hosea chapter 6, verse 1. And he talks about this, about God's purpose for pain. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. James McDonald says this. Make no mistake, God has permitted the pain in your life. But when you're feeling torn in two, he has not abandoned you. Far from turning away in callousness, he's moving towards you with compassion for the hurt that he's allowed. Maybe right now you're in the middle of a trial God is divinely orchestrating to draw you to himself. The pain will not go away until the reason for its arrival has been completed. Let me repeat that. The pain will not go away until the reason for its arrival has been completed. God's love is not a pampering love, but a perfecting love. <laughs> now, let me, let me add something in here. This is an awesome expression of God's love. His, his, his perfecting love is a love that gets to the deepest level of the cause of the pain. And that's the kind of correction that will truly last. See, a pampering love is the kind of love that your mom would come to you as a little kid when you'd, ball you'd fall down on your bicycle and you'd skin up your knee and you'd come running into the house crying because your knee skimmed up and she'd take that a little Band-Aid and she'd wash it off and put the Band-Aid on and, and say, oh, I'm so sorry that you're hurt. That's the pampering love. And that's the kind of love that makes the boo-boo go away. And it's not that God's not concerned about your boo-boos but he's more concerned about what caused the boo-boos. He's more concerned about why you fell down in the first place. And so his perfecting love goes all the way down to the inner, inner parts of your life. And it all goes all the way down to what's causing the sin, what's causing that separation. And he says, I love you so much, I want to perfect you. I want to change you. I want to take away and this pain that's in your life. Yeah, I'm an, I know all about it because I caused it. I allowed it. I'm the disciplinarian God that caused or allowed the pain and I did it for a reason because I want you to look up and I want you to reach up to me. And when you reach up, I'll reach down. I'll reach down and I'll come down and I'll pull you up and I will heal you. I will bind up your wounds and I'll put you back on the path of righteousness and I'll put you back where I want you to be walking on holy ground. See, God is totally committed to us. As he accomplishes the purposes for the hurt, he's allowed. Sometimes the pathway to personal revival, to a further and deeper knowledge of him, is through pain. Wow. So this morning, I'm not sure where you're at in life. But if you're experiencing pain, if you're experiencing rejection, if you're experiencing heartache, if you're experiencing the things that are not comfortable, understand that God has a purpose in that and he's loving you through it. He's not throwing you out to the dogs. He's not throwing you out to Satan. No, he's right in the boat with you and he's saying, you know, if you'll only look up 
and if only receive the help that I'm giving down to you, I'll be there. I desperately, he says, I desperately want you. I desperately want you. As you give yourself to the pursuit of God, he's pursuing you. God's pursuing you through your pain. As you do that, your doubt will become faith. Your discouragement can become joy. And your despair can become purpose and fulfillment. And it can become a reviving of your heart beyond what you can imagine if you will only say, God, help me in my pain. Help me. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand truly what it means to suffer. Help us what it really means to walk in your suffering and how when we allow ourselves to walk in the way you, were, the way you suffered and the way you were rejected and the way you were persecuted, that help us to develop that closer relationship with you. Lord, so often we'll take the pain and we'll become bitter towards you with it. But Lord, help us to change that bitterness to betterness. Help us to change that I to an E. God, would you change that I to an E? Would you make us that we come better through the pain? That we would, that would become closer to you? That we really, like Paul, could get to know you. I want to know you, Christ. I want to know you, so therefore I have to walk as you walked. I need to go through the things that you walked through. God, I pray that you bring revelation into the hearts of your people here. Lord, I believe this was the menu for the day. I believe this is what you want your people to be fed on today. So God, I pray that we would go home today and we would chew on this and we would just let this um, be digested in our spirit. That we would walk more like you closer to you. We would know you better as we walk in the way you walked. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's sing the song that Jackie's playing. And after we sing, then we'll go and have fellowship. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Stand with me if you would.
thank you, Father, Lord, for this message. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will just give us that hunger, give us that desire that we would know you more. And Lord, help us, Father, comfort us abundantly as we walk as you would walk. In Jesus' name, amen.